Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, we're going to talk some basketball and some deadlines today that are approaching. Yeah, um, we're getting down here to the kind of the end of when it comes to uh, declaring for the NBA draft guys have until Sunday night, April 24th, uh, 11.59 p.m. So uh, you got a couple of Kentucky guys already in the draft who some have signed with an agent, I guess one, Ty Ty Washington, and then you have Jacob Toppin and Keon Brooks, both who have already declared. Uh, anybody else, Sean? I don't think that's it, right? From Kentucky? Yeah, that's, that's it for the for the pro route. And then obviously, so, so the two most notable guys that everyone's kind of deciding who you know will kind of with Oscar Sheboy and Shaden Sharp. Those are the two guys that everyone's really waiting to see what they'll do if they'll be a part of next year's team. And yet, neither one of those guys to this point has even. <laughs> Uh, declared the early entry. I mean, you have until uh, June 1st to actually come back. So, I mean, this could be a thing that drags out a little bit longer, but we're not even to the point yet where these guys have actually declared. No, and we've talked all, what, off season. Well, ever since the season ended, we've talked that those were the two decisions that would kind of swing momentum for Kentucky one way or the other. And honestly, Derek, I don't feel like that the roster building can really start until you know what those two do, right? Like if... If right. there's no Oscar Sheboy, then you've really got to get to work on what you're doing in your front court. If there's no Shaden Sharp, you really got to find something there in the backcourt, probably a couple of guys to, to make up some of the things that he would be doing on next year's roster. So it's kind of put Kentucky here in a spot to where if they both were to announce and not come back, I just don't see how Kentucky really has a path to be great next season. I don't want to – I mean, I'm not trying to be pessimistic with it, but if you don't have at least one of those two dudes on your roster, then I think a lot of people are going to look at this thing and think, okay, Kentucky could struggle. Yeah. Well, I'm only basing this, excuse me, basing this off of kind of general reports from people who are connected to UK plus, uh, well, I guess that's really what I'm going off of stories and then tweets, things like that for a player of Oscar Sheboy's caliber, a potential returnee as a national player of the year. It seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, if you've seen otherwise, but I think generally it's kind of, I don't know if accepted is the correct word to use, but it, the feeling seems to be that he's going to come back. Yeah. Um, whereas with Shaden, again, another guy who has not publicly made his declaration on what he'll do but the feeling still seems to be that he won't be at Kentucky next year I don't know that anything has happened and really I mean really in the last few weeks that would change that either way what do you for for the case of both Oscar and Shaden what what would you say the holdup is in terms of even putting their name in the draft because you could you could do that already and then have until yeah Yeah. I'm I'm a little confused as to why and that's well, the thing with Shaden. I mean, even if he ultimately does decide to come back or whatnot, like I, you would think you would still want that draft feedback. I mean, I think that's a great tool for all these guys to use. Like Toppin, in my mind, he made all the sense in the world to use that. I don't think Jacob Toppin's going to get drafted. I don't I don't think Jacob Toppin went into this process thinking he would get picked, uh, at least at a spot where he would want to get taken. Well, but it, 
it provides feedback, things like that. I think it's a, a smart avenue to use, and I would expect Sharp and Shibway to use that, wouldn't you? I would, and and I thought, obviously, when the season ends, and it ended much sooner than what we all thought it would for Kentucky, I, I think that there's obviously that period of waiting to where you don't want to announce your intentions too soon because then if you do, it's like, oh, he already had his mind up, mind made up before the season even ended. So you kind of take that period. Well, Kentucky got all that extra time this year, and then you saw Dante Allen, you know, go to the portal. That was a big decision early. Then you see Jacob Toppin's decision to declare. Keon Brooks, you see these guys. Bryce Hopkins transferring out the door. But it just kind of feels like that before now, you probably, even on Oscar Sheboy's front, like I, I think if the NIL stuff gets worked out, I think we all believe that Oscar Sheboy is going to be at Kentucky next year. I think John Calipari believes that. I think Oscar believes that. I think that's what Oscar ultimately wants to do. But we've also heard him talk about in interviews the last couple of weeks that he'll te- he's going to test the NBA process and all this stuff. Well, you don't start testing it really until you declare and put your name in there. On Shaden's side, Derek, it's, I think that's the more frustrating one. We know Oscar's situation. We know that Oscar is trying to better himself when it comes to his family and, and earning that money and getting it legally. So we know the hurdles that he has to face. So with that decision, but on Shaden's front, that's the one I think is frustrating everyone because you you have a guy that, according to who you talk to, that are talking about it's going to be a top 10 pick. You have them saying that nothing's changed, that he'll be at Kentucky next year. But then you had John Calipari on the last radio show of the year say that he would have to test the waters. He has to test them. But yet we still haven't had a decision. I know there's been an eligibility thing there where a lot of people go back and forth and whether or not Shaden Sharp is eligible for the draft makes me wonder if he does not enter his name at any point, Derek, if he even is draft eligible. Yeah, I mean, it's it's confusing. Um, granted, there are not many situations like Shaden's. I mean, most of the time it's obviously very simple, black and white, uh, if you're going to be eligible for the draft. But in this case, you got a high school kid who – I think the original report from uh, ESPN was that he had the credits to graduate by the, by the deadline. I, I don't even really know. I don't really understand it because you know, the rule is you're, you're watching, you're supposed to be a full year removed from high school. Yeah, And he played, uh, he started the high school season. If I'm not yes, mistaken. He did. This was a guy who was playing high school, but I think his camp or whoever the report was saying that he, what I don't understand is if he had the credits to graduate, to graduate like what was he doing still playing high school like why didn't he just come to school now does that make yeah. sense like why didn't he just leave well i don't know i don't really get it uh but and it and i'm not it's just one it's gonna be one of those things that i've talked about for months Derek, on this show that i thought it put john calipari in a really bad spot you know obviously if cal wouldn't have taken Shaden, when Shaden's family calls and says, okay, this is what we're doing, take it or leave it, and you're John Calipari in Kentucky, you say, okay, we'll, we'll come on now because let's say that he doesn't, and then Shaden goes and commits elsewhere, and then he does play college basketball next season, but let's say it's at Duke or North Carolina or somewhere else, then John Calipari is getting a ton of the heat where if Shaden just comes and sits on the bench, never plays, goes to the league, you're not technically replacing him because he never did add, add any production to your roster. I just felt like Cal, Cal catches less heat for something like that than he would have if he said, no, nah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to take a chance on it. And then the kid goes somewhere else and does play college basketball. Then Cal was getting just hammered for that one. Well, really, the, the worst part of all this is that they lost in the first round. 
It is. And the guard, and, and basically not just that, the guard, well, I mean, it is a lot of that, but in part they lost in the first round because the guard play by the end of the year was so bad. And, you know, we can, it's fair to attribute it to injuries. Um, we saw the story from Kyle Tucker come out about killing Grady's feet, uh, giving him a really hard time. It's clear. I mean, we all saw Ty Ty Washington, uh, Ty Ty Washington get injured multiple times at Auburn against Florida. Um, Mance just basically wasn't very effective by the end of the year. And then Xavier had his problems as well. I mean, you can look at all those guys and really not one of them played well outside of uh, Ty Ty had the good game against Vanderbilt in the SEC tournament, but none of those guys played well against St. Peter's. And uh, you add all that up and uh, you get a an exit, an early exit way before anybody expected when your backcourt plays poorly and then you have a chance that there's a guy who could be picked in the top five picks who was sitting on your bench and didn't play. All of that kind of adds up to a really bad PR storm for John Calipari. Um, yeah, but it's really interesting to me, Sean. Uh, I'm sure you saw, I think it was Lenardi or somebody had Kentucky already as the <laughs> number one overall seed in his early bracketology. I don't even know how you would even begin to formulate bracketology whenever you don't really know what these rosters are going to look like um even worse when you're talking 16 seeds and everything else like how the heck do you even know i mean st peter's was 12 and 11 at one point this season and then won seven straight to get into the tournament like hashtag content right gotta gotta keep it going you you have to and and that is a thing like it's very hard this time of year it's a little bit easier when you cover uk but one more thing on the Shaden stuff. So the NBA season started on October 19th. He was already playing games for his high school by then, right? I believe so. So, and this is the thing where this situation, it's really not fair. It, I, I think that I can't criticize John Calipari in any way, Derek, in the Shaden Sharp situation. I just can't. I know that I've criticized Cal for some things offensively. I've criticized some of the things that Cal has said the last couple of years, but I think when this, when all the dust settles and this decision is made, I just don't know if I can find anything to really criticize Cal for. I don't know if it was, uh, it just feels like one of those situations that if he's not on this UK roster next season, I, I just can't, I just can't blame John Calipari for it because we've been hearing for so long now that the family keeps telling Cal in Kentucky, he's going to be there. The plan is to sit. He's going to play next season. If he doesn't, then they lied to him. And I just don't see how I can come at Cal for any of that. It's not like Cal could twist the kid's arm and make him play or make the family say, hey, we're going to do this and we're going to play, which then will bring up the conversation of this. If Shaden enters the draft, stays in the draft, how much do you think it's going to be said that if he is ruled eligible, that he saw a loophole here to leave high school, get to UK, sit just to be eligible for the draft? You know people are going to talk about it. Oh, well, I – I think if that happens, then that was clearly orchestrated by somebody. Had to be. Involved with Shaden. I mean, uh, my, my thing, though, is kind of the persistent. It's it's even more than doubling down at this point. They've, like, tripled down or more. I mean, I, I think his camp continues to say that nothing's changed. And to me, what that means is he's still planning to play at Kentucky next season, right? If you're saying that was the plan all along, uh, that you weren't going to – and if he doesn't test the waters, I really don't think he's eligible to go. If if we don't get something between now and Sunday, then I'm going to start to think that he wasn't eligible at all to enter. So didn't Travis Branham report that he was leaving? Like, 
Didn't he report that he I'm, was? He was. And Travis has been in this thing for a long time that Shaden would not play at Kentucky. I'm talking right. as you go back as early as November of last year. Like I was in New York City when Shaden, when it, when it broke that Shaden was going to want to be reclassifying and rolling at Kentucky. Travis was in New York City at that time as well. And I remember there were conversations that he never – I don't think Brenham ever believed. We need to get him on this this podcast, actually, when everything goes down with Shaden. But I'm pretty sure that he's believed all along that Shaden would not be on the floor ever at Kentucky. Yeah, I'm just wondering why not the – I mean, Travis has got a pretty strong track record. Yeah, he's, he's not going to put that out there without something, you know, with some ground to it. Yeah. There's, there's no way that Travis Brenham throws that out there, which then makes you wonder if it's one of those things where – I know the family's getting frustrated with everything that's going on from people that I've talked to with all the announcements of, oh, he, he's not going to go or uh, he is going to go. He's not going to play at Kentucky next year. I think they're frustrated that all these things keep leaking or these reports keep coming out. But that's where there's always going to be speculation. There's been speculation around this kid since the moment he stepped foot at UK. Would he play? Would he not play? Would he be there this year or next year? Would he be not be there next year? Like, it's been speculation with Shaden Sharp from the moment he arrived on campus. That's not going to stop until that deadline is done on the 24th. And if he enters to test the waters, it's not going to stop until the next deadline on, what, June 1st? June 1st, yeah. No, I think that's definitely the case for him. Um, I mean, he would be – I mean, I think it's rightfully so, all the speculation and talk of him because – I mean, if, if you're if you're of the feeling that Shibley's going to be back, which I am, have been for a while, I think that's going to get worked out and you'll have the potential national player of the year. Well, if you if Sharp does come back and he is on the floor next year for Kentucky, you have a legitimate case and he'll have to prove it. Uh, I think Oscar probably already has, but I think Shaden will have to prove that he is, you know, that number one overall type player. But if he is, you're talking about potentially having – the two best players at their position in the country on one team yeah, at center and at shooting guard. Um, so, I mean, it's a huge deal for next year's team, especially in a year where uh, let's face it. I mean, there's, I think more pressure than ever on Cal, certainly more than what there was this year. Cause I think you can kind of, I've probably said this before on here, but I mean, not in 16, it was an odd year with COVID. You had a young team, you know, you saw Duke and North Carolina, some other blue bloods also struggle maybe a little bit easier to write off, but whenever you have a team that was pretty good throughout the season, you get knocked out first round and it's been now seven, eight years since you've been to a final four, you are going to have a lot of pressure next season to make another run. Uh, have a, I think even have a dominant regular season, which is going to be harder and harder with how strong the league is getting, but at least be one of those teams. And again, to, to his credit, Cal's credit, I mean, you're talking about a team that won nine games in 2020, 2021 to a team that beat the eventual national champions by 18 on their home floor, a place where they don't really lose ever. So, I mean, there were good moments this season, but at the end of the day, this is Kentucky and winning in March is, is what's remembered here. And I just think there's going to be so much pressure, but if you can go into a year, I mean, the worst case scenario, I mean, there's a couple of ways this summer can go. You could have the ultimate worst-case scenario. Oscar leaves, Sharp leaves, yeah. DJ Wagner commits to Louisville. Oh, God. And then you could also have the ultimate thing. I mean, this thing could go either – I mean, my guess is you end up somewhere one out of three or two out of three. I don't know which. But 
Uh, it seems maybe a little too good to be true at this point that you would that the three things would flip and you would keep Oscar, keep Sharp, uh, Shaden Sharp, and then also Len Wagner. Speaking of that, you got any predictions on how those three things might play out? Because I think my prediction <laughs> would be they still get Wagner. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep believing that they're gonna get him until he actually commits to Louisville or somewhere else. Well, I'm gonna say they actually get Wagner keep Shibway, but sharp they find a way to get him into the draft and he stays yeah if you if you go two of three out of that you're pretty have good to, you have to feel good about it and and i don't want to rank them and which one's most important i, I just feel oh, like i'll rank them I, I think wagner is by far the least important but it's going to get the most play because it's kenny Payne and louisville on the trail <laughs> you're like i'll rank them for you <laughs> oh I, I mean i think I think it's a bigger PR hit than any. And maybe I'll end up looking stupid and DJ Wagner be the best freshman in college basketball ever. I mean, who knows? Maybe it would happen. But I think, like, if you still had a class of, like, Robert Dillingham, Reed Shepard, Justin Edwards, Aaron Bradshaw or somebody, I, I think you can still have a great class even without DJ Wagner. You can. And and I've been worried. I mean, obviously I worry about how things trend with Cal because you, you want to see – John Calipari get back to being the you want you want Kentucky to be the cool program. I think that's the thing that we're all looking at here and seeing as can Kentucky get back and kind of claim that title. They haven't to me been the cool program for a while in college basketball. Do, do they get back to that? If Cal loses a recruit the caliber of DJ Wagner with the connections that Cal has had for years, I know Kenny has those same things. But if that sways to Louisville and you lose it to your rival, to your former assistant coach, that's when I'm people are going to start looking and think, okay, does John Calipari have a lot left in the tank with this or not? I think you're going to see those stories written because that would be a huge flip of momentum, especially in the in-state rivalry, but also on a national scene. If Kenny Payne comes in and takes a guy that has been an absolute lock to Kentucky for a very long time, I think Kentucky wins out in the end, though. In that one, I think that those relationships with Cal pay off. I think they get Shibway. I still don't know on Sharp. I keep coming back to this deadline. If if we don't get anything by Friday, Saturday, then I'm going to say he's back. But right now, until I know for sure, I, I think that Shaden Sharp will not be on the roster next season. That's just my gut feeling on it. I think Kentucky gets two of the three. The most important to me, though, Derek, is I think Oscar Shibway. And, and is Oscar a more talented player than Shaden Sharp? No. Like, Shaden, we know, projects for the next level better than Oscar Shibway does. But when you factor in who Oscar Shibway is, the way he speaks, the way this fan base rallied around him this season, a fan base right now that is negative, and honestly, they have every right to be negative, you need some good-feeling positivity and I just don't think that there's any better human being for your program to do that than Oscar Shibway, the reigning national player of the year. Yeah. I mean, there's probably a strong case that Shaden Sharp uh, is a better overall, more polished basketball player than Oscar Shibway, but 17 and 15 doesn't lie. You know, if you could get no. a guy back, that's going to be a senior and average that. Uh, I mean, he's I think the, he would he's the pulse. He's the pulse of the fan base right now. Like yeah. everything well, that, that nobody can say anything bad about Oscar Shibway. Nothing. I mean, I've, never, I've not seen anything bad said about the kid in any regard. Basketball skills, off the court skills, nothing. I mean, I think it should be made. Uh, even if the scenario does happen where Wagner goes elsewhere, Sharp doesn't play here. I, I would hope that, and honestly, with the pulse of the fan base right now, it might be hard to even have this, but like, I would hope that wouldn't just be kind of lost in the 
Boston, whatever, because that would be a major deal to get back a like those guys don't count. I think Tyler Hansborough was the last national player of the year or wouldn't wouldn't award whatever the award Naismith maybe whichever award to actually return to school. I mean it's it really just doesn't happen, honestly. So as much as there might be some disappointment in other areas to have a guy like Oscar Sheboy who uh, I think is a great representative of the University of Kentucky and is a, a great college basketball player to have that to build around next year. Big. I think would still be a pretty big win for Cal. It would. But again, I mean, I think, I don't know, man, I think people are just so down well, on this program right now that if those other two things still happen, I almost think that people just wouldn't maybe wouldn't see Sheboy as big of a deal as what they probably should. It To me, it's, it's one of those things that, it's it'd be great PR for your program if Oscar were to announce here very soon that he's coming back. But I just think that who he is and what he stands for and the way he talks and the way that every single person in this fan base rallied around him this year, it, it, he kind of – I mean, look, there were a lot of people, Derek, that I think Oscar Shibway alone and then the way that this team played for four or five months, it brought a lot of people back in – yeah. who had kind of, you know, kind of got frustrated with the program, whether it had been the one and done or whether it had been not going to a Final Four in, in six or seven years. I think that the way this team was and their attitudes, led by Oscar himself, signing every single autograph, all it's like he reeled those people back in. And I think that even though you had the loss of St. Peter's, you haven't been to the Final Four in, in, in seven years, it, it feels like that if that's enough to hold the rope and bridge it, and you can at least have some optimism going into the year. If they get him and Shaden both back, I think a lot of people will forget about the loss, not completely, but at least enough to look ahead and say, okay, there's a path to still be an elite basketball team this year, and this team could get there and get over the hump. And could you see a, a scenario play out like Virginia a few years ago, lose a first-round yeah. game to a 16th seed and come back and win the whole dang thing? I think if they have Shaden and Oscar on next year's roster, they got to be the favorite to win the national championship. Yeah, I just, because the two coming in are very good. Yeah. And you have, uh, I mean, North Carolina, if you've been keeping up with it, they, they've had a lot of guys come back. But I'm a little I'm a little iffy on North Carolina because they showed – I mean, they need to be a, a pretty highly ranked preseason team. Uh, they will be. They got the name Brandon. They just played in the national championship game. But that team was not very consistent throughout the season. Uh, but you would think second year Hubert Davis with a lot of guys back and not, I actually don't even know what they have coming in. Uh, I've not looked at the recruiting class, but I'm sure they have some, it's North Carolina. Surely they have some good players coming you in. You know, they've benefited too from, and I'm not taking anything away, beating Duke in that game, in that environment, Kay's last game, that was a big deal. Having the lead against Kansas, they had a chance to win it. We saw Kentucky beat that same Kansas team. We saw Kentucky beat that North Carolina team when healthy. Baylor was kind of limping into the tournament at the end of the year. Yeah. He got bounced by St. Peter. So the, the two seed in that region w- was out. So North Carolina took advantage of the run that they had and the path that they had, and they got there and they played well at the end of the year. Kentucky was the opposite. Kentucky played very well during the season. And I went back and I can't believe I did this. I watched the St. Peter's game two nights ago. I have no idea why I did that to myself. Boy, it was bad. There, had Kentucky won that game, I just, I don't think they were. I wouldn't have been shocked if they'd have lost the next game. Right. Had they survived. Like, they weren't going to a Final Four. And honestly, going back and watching a few games before that, those same signs were there during the SEC tournament, too. 
Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Now, you're right on North Carolina. It's not to minimize because uh, you know they they beat Coach K and and Cameron too. I mean that. They yeah, did. If you're talking about a rivalry aspect, they like hold the ultimate car. I don't know that Duke will can't ever top be able it. To- yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. I don't know if Duke will ever be able to get – you beat the legendary coach on his home floor in his last game, and then you knock him out of the Final Four. To beat him in a national championship. Right. Game. The only way it's topped. That would have been the only thing that would have made it any sweeter. Uh, but in terms of their run, you're right. I mean, as great of a story as St. Peter's was, you dream of a scenario where you get to play a 15 seed with a chance to go to the Final Four. And I mean, it showed there that the talent clearly won out. I mean, that that game wasn't even close with uh, St. Peter's in North Carolina, and it was kind of the same deal for Kansas. You get to play Miami, a team that had a good run, was from a Power Five conference. From you know, typically the ACC is a strong conference, not so much. Well, well, I want to say not so much this year. Yet they showed out pretty well in mm-hmm. the NCAA tournament. Um, but you know, anytime you get a chance to kind of play those lower seeds, you really. You have to relish it. You have to be playing well, but you also have to have a little bit of good luck and fortune on your side as well. Very few. That's why I like the 2014 Kentucky. That I mean, the obviously when you have a team that was start started 38 0 and doesn't finish the job, I mean it hurts. But like, dude, that 2014 team, I I know I was like a lot of people, I felt like I probably had less anxiety going. I was still in college then I was a freshman at UK that that year. They made that great run. I felt like they'd slayed the dragon, man. Like they beat Michigan, they beat Wisconsin, they beat Louisville, who was the number one seed. Like they had beaten all these teams, and then you got UConn, which was a seven seed. And it was like, all right, well, I didn't even think they were going to lose that game that night. I was sure they were going to win. Uh, so my point there is that, I mean, that was a UConn team that I don't know if they were that good, honestly. When, when you're <laughs> yeah, ranking, they're, they're, when you're ranking national champions, they're near the bottom of it. They're, yeah, they're one of the worst. I yeah. mean, in terms of, and uh, maybe you would have said the same thing. Maybe you would have about – I think the difference with Kentucky, had they won, is you would have looked at them and said, well, they were a preseason number one team with a ton of five-star players. So I think they would probably be ranked a little bit higher. But they didn't have a great season by any means until the tournament. And so what I'm saying gotta, there is you like – got to beat who's in front of you, right? Right. Like in the tournament. Let's like a few years ago, the Shea team gets Kansas State and Loyola and Nevada in the Sweet 16 Elite Eight, and they can't break through to the Final Four. And that team has – it's loaded with the NBA talent when you look at the league now. All those dudes are in the league. Hami, Winyan, all of them. Nick Richards, PJ. Nick Richards. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they're, it's, I mean, there's so Vanderbilt much Vanderbilt didn't really play, but he's on a roster, I think. Uh, and that's where you got to have – to me, it's where you got to have a lot of – the ball has to bounce your way. Whether it be you you catch a break, you're playing somebody, and, and they're without one of their best guys. We, we mentioned Baylor being down. Uh, Kansas got to play Villanova in the Final Four after Villanova had a key injury the week before. Right. I know that's just a part of the game. Kentucky's been on the other side of that. 
you lose Willie in that year that you're talking about in 14, they lose AP in the, the next year. Like there's, there's things that play into it. I mean, I, by the time you get to that point in the year, there's just so many things and factors that it's the, to me, it's the craziest way to crown a champion because I don't think you, the best team always wins it probably Almost more often never. than not, <laughs> yeah. but that's what gets the ratings. That's why people watch it. That's what makes it special when you do win it. Cause you know how much had to go in it. Remember the year in 2012, I remember holding my breath when Anthony Davis went down versus Baylor. Right. I thought for sure he had injured his knee and Kentucky's probably not winning the title without him. I mean, this is just tip of my uh, tongue and just the team I thought of. Like when I'm thinking about teams that have won national championships recently, the teams that maybe you would say, like to me, 2018 Villanova was a team that just steamrolled everybody. And then you look, you're talking about a team with NBA talent. I think they got like five guys from that team that are currently in the league. That's like one of the one of the years where it feels like they didn't have to really catch any breaks. They were just flat out better yep. <laughs> than everybody else. Um, 2012 Kentucky. They, they're in there too. Yeah, you could play that tournament again, and I still think that they're winning it. Like. Those teams that you can move from year to year, and regardless of who the competition is, they're beating everyone. Those those teams don't come very often, do they? Like 2012 well, Kentucky, that Villanova team you're talking about, you could put that Villanova team in the tournament this year or last year, and I still think they're winning it. Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's the thing, too, at Cal is I look at 2010 Kentucky. I know they didn't win the title. I'm just speaking of just teams that Cal has had that you would say in any given year are probably good enough to win a national title. I would say 2010, 2012, 2015. And honestly, I would probably say 2017 because I truly think if they beat North Carolina that they win the title that year. I agree with that. But that's been the last time, though. I mean, you're going 2018 was certainly not that. 2019, albeit a good team, a team that could have won in that year. Not, I mean, they didn't – I don't think they're really – there's my team that lost ball at 34 to Duke. You know, that, that was not a team that was looking back on it. It'd great. been better to play North Carolina in that elite eight game than Auburn. Yes. And, and I was, uh, I was one of the people that was saying, don't play Carolina, play Auburn. That's because Kentucky had beaten them by 30 a month prior, but Auburn was certainly the hotter team. There's not going back and watching games. I actually watched the highlights of that game. Uh, and my, I covered these games and dude, I have like no recollection of some no. things that happened. In these games, no uh, painful to watch. You know, Hero hit that shot there. Well, they let two guys yeah. beat them. I mean, yeah, Brown and Harper. Did. That was front bad. court. Front court did absolutely nothing for Auburn that day, and PJ went off. But another one where, you know, Reed Travis, how healthy was he at the end of the year? Same thing this year. Kellen well, Grady limped you know, into it. Ty limped into it. Wheeler wasn't a hundred percent. Like that game to me was a clear. Like that's actually one thing that I do remember about that game is a Reed Travis probably on a bum knee playing forty three minutes. Yeah, EJ and, Montgomery and, and Nick Richards playing yeah. one. Yeah, refusing to like to play those other guys. Jamal Baker fouled a three point shooter, didn't see the court. I mean, he basically wrote it out with his just like he did this year. That's just what Cal does in, in the tournament. I mean, Jacob Toppin is a great first half against St. Peter's. We don't see him again. <laughs> it yeah. just doesn't make any sense. It, it, uh, he condenses it down to yeah. five or six. And I think that he just, it, it becomes the thing of who he trusts the most, whether it's right or whether it's not. That's just who he is. That's who he's been. It's also a theme too, Sean. Now I'm just sitting here thinking about it. I don't have the numbers pulled up. I'm just going off my head. Shea had a rough game against Kansas State. He did. Hagan's had a terrible game against Auburn. Uh, and then you go 2020, obviously. That might have been the year, actually, where uh, 
you felt like he had well, a strong backcourt. And, and you Kentucky and I have talked both. about that team a lot. And then, you know, Ken Palm did not like that Kentucky team. It didn't think that it projected to be one of the teams that could win it all. And I know you and I have gone back, and we didn't know what was surrounding Hagens at the end of the year in that situation. But the more that I watched hey, Hagens had that NIL money, didn't he? Back he, before, he had uh, something to his cheek. <laughs> uh, I know that. Coming back from Florida, and that decided to pop yeah. up. And how, how about that? We never even really had to talk about it because the season literally ended like three days later. But looking back on that roster – and who Johnny Juzang has been the last couple of years, he played really well that day at Florida. Would he have carried that over to the tournament? I don't know. Probably if he had gotten the opportunity, Keon. But the way Tyrese Maxey is right now, now he's he wasn't that guy, but he was good. And the way quickly has been, and the way that guard position carries teams in March, Eric, I'm starting to think that that, that team probably had a good shot to go on a run just because of its guard play. But then Nick Richards was a pretty solid guy at the five. Could have. I started cracking myself up because I'm stupid like that. But I was just thinking, like, now that I think about it, Keon had that good game at Florida. He probably wouldn't have played the rest of the year. He would have well, gotten Bryce and, Hopkins. And uh, that's my one <laughs> knock on Cal right now is I think and, – and I, I get it. Like, Cal's trying to be the ultimate motivator. He's trying to publicly say these things, like Bryce Hopkins this year, Damian Collins. I remember him specifically saying – these guys are going to be the reason we win or lose a tournament game. And then they neither, neither one of them play. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah you you were right. They're the reason you lost. You didn't play them, right? <laughs> like, no, I just, that's the stuff that I get it, but then you can't put that stuff out there and then play someone six minutes the rest of the year. Like that's yeah. the stuff that I think you've got to change and got to get away from and figure out, which let's wrap up with this as we, we've kind of got down a little rabbit hole. Well, here, I do but, want to say one more thing about that 2020 team. And um, I, you get this a little bit with Devin Booker, too, where people see what they become and they kind of forget what they are in college. I would say to, to an extent, though, and I'm not blaming this on Cal necessarily because players improve, they, they get better, especially the guys who go to the NBA and that just becomes their full-time gig, just playing basketball. Looking back, though, not necessarily – saying this is a cow thing i just think if you put a different coach with that roster you could have had some pretty nasty lineups in a scenario where you could have quickly or maxi running the one with the other guy the two juzang sestina and richards that would have been a pretty difficult lineup to defend yet i can't remember a scenario where that they actually ever played that lineup the whole season yeah no so i'm just saying with some more and again i mean you're you're talking i mean these are not I'm just saying maybe a coach would have looked at that roster differently and utilized it differently than what Cal did. Because, I mean, it was almost always exclusively it felt like Montgomery and Richards out there together. With uh, I think Keon played a lot of three that year, didn't he? I think he did. when he was out there. Like, I think Cal would have looked at it and thought for sure he'd rather play Keon than Juzang. And you got to remember, too, Khalil Whitney was starting on that team there for a while, right? So, or maybe he wasn't starting, but he was still getting minutes for a while. I mean, that kid could hardly – not to be mean, but, like, he could hardly – he had no ball handling skills whatsoever. Um, so, Juzang, I mean, he went on to be – take UCLA to the Final Four the next year, quickly had a great rookie year. Maxie's blowing up right now. Yet, the guy who's not in the NBA, and I don't know what he's even doing, Hagens was kind of like the focal point of that team. I don't know. I don't know if I'm blaming – I don't know if I'm criticizing Cal or not right there. It's hard to say for sure. But – I don't know. I think a different coach could have utilized that team a little bit differently and maybe 
had a little bit more success, but they didn't get the chance to play in the tournament. So who knows what would have happened. Yeah. So if you've stuck around this long, we've gone through the last decade, which uh, I think has been a very good conversation. But let's let's get back to where we hey, are. Speaking right of the uh, 2021 team, Devin Askew's <laughs> transferring again. I was actually about to say that. So <laughs> Askew's back in the portal. I have no idea where that's going to play out. Obviously, we're going to look at this thing, and he's already transferred once. Well, so will he even be eligible? Will we get a waiver? I have no idea what that process looks like. I think this year will tell us some things because obviously there's going to be some guys in there throughout college basketball that probably transferred more than once. So if they get immediately eligible then I think we just call it the transfer rule, like instead of the one-time yeah. transfer rule. But speaking of transfers, we'll wrap up here. We've talked about Shaden. We've talked about Oscar. We've talked about all these deadlines, but we do know that Kentucky still is actively recruiting some pieces that we know for sure. One of those would be Antonio Reeves, the transfer from Illinois State. It sounds like Kentucky's in a great spot there, possibly landing him. Uh, Derek, I've watched this tape. I know you've watched this tape. It's a guy that has improved every single season he's played college basketball. The numbers across the board, the three-point shot, the free throw percentage, the minutes, all of it, up to 20.1 points per game this last season. What do you think about that possibility joining the U.K. roster? Because it's starting to seem like that's a really good possibility coming. Yeah, I think um, the way I've chosen to view this, um, without knowing what's going to happen to the rest of the roster, is I think Reeves is being recruited uh, primarily as a, as a bench scorer. So whenever I take it in terms of, you know, this year's team, uh, I think they're trying to find someone as an upgrade to Davion Mintz. And uh, I think Reeves offensively would certainly fit that. Uh, I, I've only watched highlight tapes, and this was exclusively offensive highlight tapes. But defensively, I know, based on some of the metrics, it's not been pretty. I also don't know how much I'll look into that, though, because – a place like Illinois State, I believe they fired their coach during the season. Uh, he probably just wasn't asked to, to do much defensively. I mean, it, it seemed like he had a job on that team, and that job was to That's put cool. the ball in the bucket. And, uh, I mean, you're talking about a guy who had, what, 25, I think, at Wisconsin? Yeah. Uh, against a team that typically, I mean, you know, plays some low-scoring games, Wisconsin. I think uh, he had 17 as a freshman against Ohio State. So, there's there's some games in there where he's played very well against top competition. I mean, this feels like the kind of guy that you get him in a game every now and then he's got the potential to go off offensively. Well, and um, the numbers stand out. Like, I'm talking even the free throw numbers. So he was 27 of 41 at the line as a freshman. This year he was 112 of 137. Kind of a complete offensive player at the college level, it seems yeah. like. Uh, I know some people will probably talk, and I'll do like if, if it gets to that point and he commits, obviously we'll break down, do a scouting report, things like that. But his offensive game, I think some people will talk about where he's a ball-dominant guard. A lot of his clips are with the ball in his hands. He's creating for himself. But here would be my kickback because some people say, well, how will he do off the ball? Kentucky had a lot of dudes at the end of the year that couldn't do anything with the basketball. So give give me all the guys that can get their own because I I think if Kentucky would have had a guy at the end of the year healthy that could get his own, they would have at least advanced beyond the first night. Yeah, I don't know if this is a great comparison because they play differently, but he, like, feels like an Arkansas guy to me. Yeah, that's does that I make sense? I, 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 yeah, I could see it. Like someone, like I mean, I'm surprised Musselman's not in on it, right? Like he's he's collected yeah. everybody else in the transfer portal. This well, I mean, I just he just seems like a guy to me. I mean, they take they take some. I mean, Note took a ton of shots at this level, much more than anyone else on the team. But he just feels like a guy to me that comes from a small level that 
he who, might have some games where he can really wow you uh, offensively. Who Kentucky in shots this year in attempts? Like, what was the number? Do you know? Let me go pull it up. I got because Reeves took five hundred and five shots. <laughs> he shot forty six point nine percent. Uh, 195 threes. He hit 76 of them for 39 percent. But he got to the free throw line 137 times, 137 free throw attempts. So it's not like that. It was just a standstill three point shooter. Like he he got to the line too. Now those numbers would obviously like let's say he gets to UK. He's not taking 505 shots next year. But uh, uh, the leading shot taker this year was Oscar. Um, but then Tata had 337, and Grady had 303. Those yeah. were the top three. So uh, Sheboy almost took 400 shots. He took 393. Yeah. So those. So you're not. He's not getting to 400. Maybe not even to 300, if he comes to UK. But what you would have is, I, I think you've got a capable guy that can put the ball in the basket for you. He has good size at six six. He can shoot it. He he's really good at getting his shot off and, and creating it for himself from three-point range. He can get to the rim. I want to see some more tape on him. I want to look at his defense, but I, I think it would be a good starting point if Kentucky is able to land him. And regardless of role, if it's a six-man, seventh-man role, your backcourt got better and you, you got a guy that you can kind of put in there and possibly get hot and maybe doesn't have to always be from the three-point line. You pair him with C.J. Frederick, too. I mean, potentially that's, off the bench. And, and maybe that's some news we need to wrap up with, too. You know, C.J. had the tweet this weekend. Uh, and when you get to Kentucky, right, like we all assume C.J. Frederick will be on next year's roster. But when you're talking about the U.K. basketball program, you can never assume. But his tweet, you saw the video of him just burning the nets up at Morro Coliseum. To me, Derek, it was really good PR to get that thing out there now where there hadn't been a lot of news with your program, with people coming back and who's on the roster and all this. I thought it was good to see that Saturday and to see him healthy and you get him for a couple of years. Uh, I know Jack uh, Pilgrim was talking about the other night. He could still apply for a medical red shirt and play a third year. So CJ could be a guy that if he's healthy in your program for quite some time, it could be a pillar piece for it. And I think that was what we talked about last spring when they took him, it made a ton of sense because it would be for more than one season it's unfortunate that he had the injury because I do think that he would have helped them a ton as the season went along, and especially at the end when everybody else got cold. Yeah, when I'm thinking about Reeves and Frederick, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at a, a roster even if Sharp does leave. And obviously, if Sharp's back, it's a given. He'll be a starter. There's no question about that. But even if he leaves, I've kind of talked myself into a situation where you're going to have Wheeler back a point guard start. I mean, I'm just going to be surprised if Xavier's not their starting point guard because there's been some other options going to the portal that could play point, and I don't think UK's pursued any of those guys. So that tells me that they've kind of had their mind made up, that Wheeler's going to be back. Uh, and I feel like Casey Wallace is going to be a starter. And honestly, Sean, whether it's at the three or the four, I kind of think Livingston's going to play himself into a starter as well. Yeah, um, he's, he's very good. And Kaysen could end up playing some one. Yeah, but I'm, I'm wondering if, uh, like, the scenario I would like to see if Sharp did come back, I, mean, I think he could probably roll with the lineup of uh, starting lineup, and again, as the game goes on or the matchups, he can he can change it. But I would think Wheeler, Wallace, Sharp, Livingston, and and Chibway for a long time has been kind of my scenario where I thought would, would suit them best. But even if Sharp did leave, I mean, I'd be most curious to see if, if Livingston could effectively play the three. I I know he's probably gonna be a hot topic in terms of if he's a four or a three. I mean, he's. Depending on where you look, he's been listed as short as six foot five. Yeah. And I don't know if he's taller than that now or what, but his 24-7 profile for a while was at six foot five. So I mean that's a pretty small four if you're actually gonna 
Like I, I don't have a problem playing four out, but I almost think six five is pushing it, don't you? I mean, unless the kid's just a uh, rebounder. I don't know. Six five. Well, seeing what he did at Jordan and stuff, uh, I think Cal probably views him as a three, and that's probably where he'll get a lot of time, especially early. But it, it wouldn't shock me if if the way the roster's made up. Like I'm I'm of the belief that they don't add anything to the front court and I'm throwing Livingston in the front court because I, I do think yeah. that he could slide and play some four. So that's all I'm saying. But let's say three through that three through five. Let's say it looks like this. Let's say it's Oscar Lance, Damian Collins, Jacob Toppin and Chris Livingston. I don't see them adding anyone anywhere else. So that means Ross Hopkins transfers. Keon either stays in the draft pulls his name out, hits the portal. But here's the other thing that you got to keep in mind with the portal. That deadline to enter the portal is May 1st. Mm-hmm. So not only does do these guys have to make decisions with the NBA draft, if they do enter, they got to make a quick decision and say, okay, if, if I want to go somewhere else other than Kentucky, I've got to hit the portal before May 1st and kind of let my school know I'm leaving. So there's some other decisions there in the next couple of weeks that got to be made. Is Keon – going to stay in the draft is he going to come back to Kentucky I could see him on next year's roster but my gut feeling tells me he won't be because of a guy like Livingston Toppin Damian Collins we know that he's going to get more run next season I just don't know where Keon fits in all that yeah I think that's a good point I mean you're already looking at any scenario we talk about they're gonna have a pretty deep team again in terms of well I'll say that they should have a deep team this year but in terms of what the rotation could be I mean well, he kept talking about depth, right? But it, it they weren't as deep as what he kept saying they were. Because you Well, didn't... they had some depth that kind of won them. Well, I don't want to say single. I mean, hell, you could probably make the argument Bryce almost did single-handedly win them the LSU game. With yeah, his he energy. did. But, like, Collins came in and had a nice game. Like, they had the potential to have some guys who could come in on any given night. Just wasn't consistent it. depth. Consistent depth. That's where I was going for. That was the word I would use. You had some guys that, if the matchup was right, could take advantage of it. But also guys that you could not count them. Maybe, maybe they didn't get the chance every single night, but if so, it's because Cal didn't think that they were yeah. capable of what well, did Bryce play? Well, it was like seven minutes the rest of the season. After the uh, last game. Is that what I I think it, yeah. I think maybe six minutes in the last seven. So they played okay. Arkansas was right after that. And then I know who was it? Ole Miss and then Florida. So yeah, yeah seven and seven and six and six games after so, Cal said, that he has to play more and all this, but that's where it comes from, that con- consistency and that trust. And I don't think that Bryce or Damian ever really grabbed Cal's attention and said, okay, I'm taking this spot. I'm going to play this amount of minutes. Was it the right call? Was it the wrong call? We'll never know. But I, I think that's what they've got to get figured out is I think they had depth. It just was guys you, – you didn't know. It was Damian's going to – was Damian going to play this game for 10 minutes or was he not going to play for the next three games? And I think that's a really hard spot mm-hmm. to be in, especially for a guy like Bryce. I feel like Damian still projects well. I think that his frame and his athleticism and the things that he does, whereas Bryce Hopkins, I think Derek, it kind of, I wanted to see him stay at Kentucky because I think he has potential to be a very good player, but I don't know if they were ever going to figure out if he was a three or a four. So then there's some of that inconsistency there in your mind of, okay, how do I need to play to get minutes here? Maybe it was the best decision for him to go elsewhere and kind of and find that identity for himself because you can't just take a chance on coming back with a Jacob Toppin and a Chris Livingston and, and just assume that, okay, I'm a year older, I'm going to be better, I'm going to play a lot more. Like 
it's a very complicated thing at Kentucky to where if you take those guys 20 through 50, they better be like Shea Alexander and these guys that emerge into NBA picks after a year or so. If not, it kind of feels like they're destined to hit the portal. Yeah, last thing I'll ask you, this is for the last thing. In the scenario that Keon did choose to come back to Kentucky, you mentioned a lot of the guys just then, uh, potentially three through five. Would you, do you think that would be the end of the roster movement, or could you see someone else leaving in that scenario? I, I could. I, I could see somebody else because – It does feel a little crowded if Keon It, it does. That, that's what I keep coming back to. And, and that's where if Keon does come back, then I think it does primarily push Livingston probably to the three instead of the four, especially with top in there. And, and I think Livingston's going to be one of these guys that we look in, in October and maybe Cal – I want to see what Cal mentions about his game after he gets him on campus this summer because I'm still of the belief that he could get some minutes at the four, but after what I've seen at Jordan Brandon stuff, I, I'm okay with him playing the three. Like I think that that's, a, that's an okay thing, but I want to see how he develops and how he projects. But that's where I'm coming from about this NBA deadline. That's not the only deadline that we should be talking about because – we should be talking about the transfer portal deadline because if Shaden, if Shaden enters the draft and Keon's in the draft, Toppin's in the draft, and let's say you get a surprise that doesn't come back, well, these guys that are in the portal right now, those are going to be your guys that you're going after. So if you're not really touching base with people, you've got some ground to make up and you're going to need to add people to your roster. It's The time – seems like it's really crunched together here, and Kentucky's the one that's kind of playing the waiting game because you have no idea what happens with Shaden. Does that make any sense at all? Because, like, it's, yeah. it's, a week, it's a week apart, like, from him entering to the transfer portal deadline. I mean, it's a week apart. So if, if there is some movement and Kentucky gets involved or someone else comes back like a Keon, it kind of forces everybody's hand to react quickly and kind of get this thing together. I'm, I'm starting yeah. to think that the roster is probably intact 70-ish percent and that they'll add a couple of pieces from the portal. Like if, if they get Oscar back and then Keon just stays in or transfers, then I think that they add a couple of guys from the portal and then probably to the backcourt and be done with it. And that's a good point because like this year it feels maybe it's because they spread it out more. Why well, just this does feel super quiet. Like it's, it seems like you go a week at a time at times before you hear. And the, and the season anything. for Kentucky ended about the same time last year as it did this year. It's been almost a month now, right? Yeah. And last year it was around March 12th, I think, when we started getting some talk and Grady committed and signed by early March and you had the movement. I know Frederick was – He was pretty Frederick, late. He was, was late. So, Xavier Wheeler was late. You had Davion Mintz announce he was returning the first day of July. Like, you're not going to get that this summer. I know people bring up the, the DJ Wagner reclass, and if that's a thing, I, I don't no. think that's the way they'll go. No. I don't see that being it, but to me, Wheeler will be on the roster next year. The only way that I thought he wouldn't be is if if they if there was a guy that went into the portal like between now and May first that just made a lot of sense. Then I think Kentucky would obviously look, and then I think it comes down to Savir wanting to compete and be there and possibly take a different role. But I think that Cal's kind of bought in that injuries played a big role in what happened at the end of the year, and I, I think that he felt like Savir was the best option they had last year, and as long as they get capable shooters, maybe more consistent guys around them. Like, let's face it, Davion Mintz was a good player, but I don't think Davion was ever truly consistent. Very streaky. He was very streaky. He could knock down five, or he could go five games without making one. So, 
I think you get more consistent with Frederick. I think a guy like Reeves, you get get some consistency there as well. I think Kaysen's going to be a consistent two-way guy for Kentucky that can do a lot of things. I do think the backcourt will be better on this roster, and that is with or without Shaden Sharp on the roster. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I think that's a good point. Very good episode, by the way. This might be one of our best episodes we've ever had. We've gone on a little bit. We've not recorded in a few days, and some things have happened. I mean, I didn't really feel the need to bring back up the Bryce Hopkins stuff just no. because it's been so far. And kind of been waiting to some of these visits. I know we, we obviously Miller visited as well, and that's another option for Kentucky with with seeing what happens with that. I mean, that's a that's a guy that if you look at on three, is a five star player, uh, and another Canadian prospect there that you kind of look and you're intrigued by, right? Like. Could you see well, him speaking on the, of the front court, right? I mean, someone's got to go, I would yeah, think. Could, yeah, exactly. Like, there, there's a lot of stuff. It, it feels like between now and Sunday, when we record, when we're recording again this week, obviously, because some decisions are going to have to be made. But when we sit down next Monday and Tuesday and look at this thing, I think we're going to be able to look and say, okay, you can just about see what UK's roster is going to look like by next Monday. Because I think the way they are with the Reeves right now, I think you can kind of look and say, all right, their, their backcourt is this and this. Here's their options. And you can kind of see a path to the end of this thing. And then is Oscar a part of that or not? Uh, I don't know. Like, there, there's a lot that has to happen between now and Sunday. And then that next week is crucial, too. And does anyone new hit the portal? Are there any surprises? Is a key on back on your roster? I don't know. I mean, you got players going to the portal every day. I thought this thing would slow down this year, but it certainly hasn't. Like, I'm, I'm beginning to wonder if this is just college basketball now and it's going to be thousands of names in the portal every single year. And if it is, I'm okay with it because, one, it creates content, and it's, I mean, it's total chaos. <laughs> well, I saw someone tweet about – I can't remember who it was. It got quote tweeted onto my timeline, but it is true. Like, I, can't, I guess I don't remember who said it, but it does make – it keeps college basketball in the – spotlight a little bit longer just in terms of roster building it is a true point i mean any professional sport that has free agency that's a huge and obviously they have the draft too which is especially nfl is a huge deal of its own anything the nfl does is huge but free agency i mean i think if you look around like nba to me and i haven't really watched the nba um which i've determined is because mainly i just on the team that's here for um not because I don't like the products. I don't really have a team around here. But if you're on Twitter or you just keep up with player movement, I don't think anyone does it better than the NBA. Yeah. Uh, the offseason when you got to start signing. I mean, it's a huge deal. And I just think college basketball, it, the transfer portal is – I mean, you've heard coaches like Vince Merrill say it. I mean, it is free agency. It is looking – it's at least the concept of it. You're looking at – if you want to determine the recruiting classes, your quote-unquote draft – then you're looking at your roster after people leave and you're trying to determine how can we best fit these guys here. And that's when you go to, I mean, the portal offers up, I mean, Kentucky should never have a bad basketball team again with the transfer portal. You should be able to fill your needs, do things like that. Um, between the high, I mean, between you should be in the thick of it for the very best high school prospects every single year. It doesn't mean you're going to get them all, but you should at least be in the mix for them. To, to pull four or five good players from there and then take whatever you have coming back and whatever you need between those two, you can go to the portal and you should be able to get some of the best players from there too. I just can't see a scenario where Kentucky's not good or should be competing every single year under this scenario. New new guy in the portal. Uh, new guy with uh, considering Kentucky. Well, 
Kentucky's reached out to. And are you talking about the guy who was like 50 schools listed? Yes, from John Rothstein just tweeted the Washington yes. State transfer. There's seriously no like 50 idea. schools on this list. I have no idea how to say his name. Uh, I don't want to mess it up, but if you go to John Rothstein's Twitter account and it's the tweet that you just have to keep scrolling and scrolling, it's that one. But literally every school in Division One looks like they're on the list, and UK is in there. Uh, it's a 6'10 forward. It uh, looks like he's played two years, averaged about eight or nine points a game both years, Derek. We'll see. But it's a front court player. So maybe I see 35 schools on this list. Yeah. <laughs> so no, no kidding, really, 35 schools. Not going to talk about it, but just I'm going to run through some deadlines here and then we'll wrap up here. So April 24th, the NBA early entry deadline. That is 11:59 p.m. Eastern Time Sunday night. May 1st, the transfer portal deadline. That's the date by which players must tell their school they're leaving. The NBA Draft Combine is the 16th of May through the 22nd. June 1st is the stay-or-go deadline, so to, to stay in the draft or to withdraw from the draft. And then the 23rd of June is the 2022 NBA Draft. So bookmark those dates. Uh, the most important ones are coming up here in the next week to two weeks. Those are the ones that you want to watch if you're a Kentucky fan uh, because it involves, obviously, Oscar Sheboy, Shaden Sharp, and then if any guys hit the portal – uh, their surprises or coming back to school and, and lets them know maybe a Keon Brooks or something like that. But as always, this show is powered by Blue Wire Pods. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time on Kentucky Daily.